Welcome to Sound Prince Audio Magazine, a production of the Kentucky Council of the Blind. Sound Prince is underwritten by the American Printing House for the Blind and the Louisville Downtown Lions Club. I'm Carla Rushable. I'm your host for this week's magazine. Welcome to Sound Prince for the week of October 17, 2019. Last month in September, KCB received a request to begin a low vision support group in LaGrange in Oldham County. Patty Cox and I went out for the group, and it was wonderful. We made a second visit this week, and more will be scheduled. If you would like to participate in a low vision support group, but there isn't one near you, we invite you to call into our telephone support groups on the first and third Wednesday of each month. For more information about the telephone groups, call the KCB office at 502-895-4598. The Insights Art Competition is held each year at the American Printing House for the Blind. This is a national juried competition for blind and visually impaired artists. Entries are submitted in the early spring, and they are divided into a number of categories. 350 entries were received in this year's competition, and the first, second, and third place winners in each category, along with some honorable mentions, were recognized at the annual Insight Arts Competition Banquet held on Friday, October 11 at the Hyatt Hotel in downtown Louisville. Some of the categories for adults included sculpture, painting, and crafts. One of our members, Alan Trebchenko from Sellersburg, Indiana, was the third place winner in the crafts category in this year's competition. The winning piece was an amazing handcrafted wooden bowl made from hundreds and hundreds of tiny pieces of wood. You'll be hearing more about Alan's one-of-a-kind bowls here on Soundprints because he is donating one to the ACB Radio Holiday Auction. The 2019 Kentucky Council of the Blind Conference and Convention will be held at United Crescent Hill Ministries in Louisville, on Friday, November 15, and Saturday, November 16. The theme is KCB in the Spotlight. Join us for a weekend of movie fun, exhibits, information-packed general sessions and concurrent sessions, delicious food, and amazing friends. Pre-registration for the convention is now open. The registration information has been posted to the KCB News email list, and it is available online. Large print and audio copies of the information and form are in the mail. Request more information about the convention by calling the KCB office at 502-895-4598 and listen to Soundprints next week for complete convention details. There were two major events this past week, both on Thursday, October 10, and both were outside. The first was at the American Printing House for the Blind during their annual meeting. A crowd gathered outside on the front lawn to hear a major announcement from the American Foundation for the Blind and the American Printing House for the Blind. For many years, AFB has housed a huge collection of historical documents and artifacts related to Helen Keller, pictures, letters, objects, and more. The American Printing House for the Blind Museum is now acquiring this entire collection. Listen on page 2 as we bring you part of the speeches made on this momentous occasion. Then at noon on that same day, 
Kentucky's Governor Matthew Bevan presented a major award to Camp Kysock in Carrollton, Kentucky. Adam Rushevel attended the outdoor lunch and presentation ceremonies at the camp. Adam was one of the charter campers at Camp Kysock in the 1960s, and he worked there as a counselor as well. At the time, Kysock was supported originally by funding donated by Lions Clubs and for a number of years by the Easter Seals Society as well. Campers at Kysock had a wide range of disabilities, such as blindness and visual impairment, deafness and hard of hearing, cerebral palsy, mobility impairments, etc. The camp closed many years ago, but it is being used today as the venue for many private events. Adam brings us some of the remarks from the award presentation at Camp Kysock. On page 4 is part 2 of some very relevant information related to type 2 diabetes. We hope you find it useful. The third and final segment of this article will be included in another Soundprints coming soon. And on page 5 is the Soundprints calendar. Page 2 Good morning. My name is Jessica Minecci. Helen Keller once said, I am only one, but still I am one. Although she was just one person, Helen's tenacity and determination to help others impacted the lives of so many. If you are blind, deafblind, a woman, have a disability, or are a minority, Helen stood up for you. As a visually impaired young woman, I am part of two of the groups that Helen advocated for. Here are just a few of the things Helen did to fight for others. She helped create the American Civil Liberties Union. She began Helen Keller International, which addresses the causes of blindness and fights against malnutrition. Helen traveled to 39 countries campaigning for the establishment of schools for the blind and deaf. She also created rehabilitation centers. In 1933, Helen Keller wrote a scathing letter to Nazi students. In it, she warned, history has taught you nothing if you think you can kill ideas. Helen was right. Even though the Nazis burned her books and tried to stifle her ideas, today we stand here to celebrate the very principles of Helen that could not be blotted out. I am grateful for all that Helen did for me and for all of us. The example she set pushes me in my work at APH. I create materials that make learning easier for students all over the world. I make workplaces more accessible for people everywhere. This brings me joy. Like Helen, I am only one. But with hard work and determination, I am making a difference in the world. And so can you. Thank you. Thanks, Jessica. Well, good morning, everybody. We want to welcome you to the American Printing House for the Blind, and even better than that, uh, this announcement of another continuing uh, addition to the partnership that we have with the American Foundation for the Blind. I'm Dr. Craig Metter, president here at the American Printing House for the Blind, and uh, 
we are just so excited. We are uh, making this announcement. The Helen Keller Archives represents the world's largest single collection of materials uh, that are tied to Helen Keller, and more importantly, the ideas and the work that she did. And it's amazing to think that this is coming to Louisville. Louisville, which has already set itself as a city that is, has such a strong fo focus on social justice and civil rights. We have the Ali Museum, and Ali being <coughs> perhaps one of the 20th century's greatest champion for those efforts. And now to have Helen coming to the American Printing House just, again, highlights what this city is about, highlights what we're trying to accomplish here. So that's one of the big benefits of that, but more so for our field, for the field of blindness and the field of deaf blindness. Helen was a revolutionary. And to have her here, to have her work represented within our museum, and it's an amazing museum to begin with, with the history of the field of blindness, probably the most complete collection in the world. This just adds a whole nother layer to that, which we're very, very excited about. So we have many plans for that, and some that will start to unfold as people talk today, and more that we will announce in the future. But what you can expect when you come to this museum is you will see the work of pioneers, both in the field of education, both in the field of social justice and, and uh, reform. You will see the beginnings from, uh, you can go in there now and, and see such items as one of the original books produced by Louis Braille. Only one of six copies that exist anywhere in the world, and the only one that's on permanent display. Then you'll see your contemporaries in there. You'll see the actual piano that Stevie Wonder played on. You'll see the harness worn by the first guide dog. Just an amazing collection. Helen adds to that collection because it talks more about, it moves beyond kind of those one-offs, and it moves more towards the whole uh, what would you call it, the whole nexus of what it is we're trying to accomplish at APH and at AFB. And that is providing access to everyone and making sure that accessibility becomes uh, on par with equity and it should be the expectation for everybody. This project aligns beautifully with our mission at APH, and for those who don't know what our mission at APH is, but basically our mission is this idea of giving people the tools they need, accessible tools, materials, products, and services, so that they can live the life that they need to live and the life that they choose to live. Um, so Helen's work and the, the archives here fully support that and move that forward, so it's this beautiful alignment with what we do here at APH. I want to introduce a person who probably knows more about Helen than anyone else on the planet right now, and uh, and you're going to appreciate her words, I'm sure, and her passion. So at this time, I'd like to introduce Helen Selston. She's the longtime archiv archivist for the collection, and probably, like I said, the foremost expert on Helen Keller. So, Helen. Hello, everybody. Thank you, Craig, for that introduction, and thank you to the American Printing House for the Blind for having me speak. It's thrilling that both Helen Keller's archival collection and AFB's archive are coming to Louisville. These two collections are seminal sources of information about the history of blindness in the United States and advocacy for those with disabilities. Having these materials at APH presents a golden opportunity to maximize the power of the collections, to educate the public and future generations about Helen and disability history. 
As many of you probably already know, Helen is extremely dear to my heart, and I can't resist telling you a little bit about how amazing she was. Most of us think we know Helen, but she was born in Tuscumbia, Alabama in 1880, and she became deaf and blind at 19 months as a result of illness, and that when she was almost seven years old, she learned to communicate using tactile finger spelling. Sadly, for many, this is where the story ends. To think of Helen as a child at the water pump or a saintly old lady is to come away with a very limited understanding of who she was and what she accomplished and diminishes what we can learn from her life. Helen fought for those with, with vision loss but was also a fighter for freedom of speech and the right of every individual to live in dignity. Helen was a staunch advocate of human rights. As a young, beautiful and famous deafblind woman, she was embraced by the media and encouraged to write inspiring, uplifting narratives about overcoming disabilities. However, when in 1909, at the age of 29, she began to write about women's rights, workers' rights, pacifism and her own socialist politics, she was increasingly criticized as unfit to join the discussion. Her gender and disability disbarred her from the conversation. We know this did not stop her. Helen went on to have a very varied and fulfilling career. She appeared on the vaudeville stage in the 1910s and 1920s, and on the world stage from the 1930s until the 1950s. She knew many luminaries from the late 19th century until the middle of the 20th, and corresponded with figures such as Alexander Graham Bell, Mark Twain, Emma Goldman, Eleanor Roosevelt, Earl S. Buck, Andrew Carnegie, John Steinbeck, and John F. Kennedy, to name but a few. In 1924, she joined our organization, the American Foundation for the Blind, bringing her star power to the emerging blindness field. As AFB's ambassador, she crisscrossed the nation from the 20s to the 1940s, demanding legislative change to improve the lives of people who are blind and visually impaired. Between 1931 and 1947, she appeared before 13 state legislatures, petitioning for the creation of state commissions for the blind and the construction of schools for those with vision loss. Between 1942 and 1944, she supported Senator Robert Wagner's efforts to secure funding for the rehabilitation, special vocational training, placement and supervision of blind men and women, including those blinded in World War II. Helen was outspoken and well-informed. As Jess quite rightly mentioned, as early as 1933, she wrote a scathing letter to the student body of Germany, whom she exoriated for burning her book and the work of other so-called degenerate writers. A fierce defender of the right to free speech, the letter condemned censorship and rising anti-Semitism in Germany. Keller supported US military action during the Second World War. Remaining stateside, she visited dozens of U.S. Army hospitals, giving moral encouragement to wounded and blinded veterans. And after the Second World War, she took her work around the globe. Her trips were three-month affairs, and her schedules were punishing. In a single day, she would visit civic, government, and blindness organizations, as well as museums and cultural institutions. She would politely compliment her hosts on their work and then demand that their governments do more for its blind populations. As an example of Helen's impact, in 1952 she traveled to the Middle East, including Lebanon. 
In a report written later about her visit to Beirut, it was noted, the master of the blind school has found, as he goes about the city, very many people who still speak of that visit. It seems that they had not thought before of what could be done to help handicapped people to overcome their limitations. We believe that the establishment of a Lebanese Society for the Blind and the interest of the Lebanese government in such work has been largely due to Ms. Keller's visit. Think about it, okay? When she made this trip in 1952, she was 72 years old. The Cold War was consuming the US and American women were being relegated to the kitchen. And there was Helen in her 70s, circumnavigating the globe, politically engaged, deaf, blind, and a woman. I love to think of my Helen as a Trojan horse. This seemingly benign old lady packed a wallop and affected change. And what's more, she did it with style. Helen was a game changer. Not only did she improve the everyday lives of millions of people who are blind, she changed perceptions of blindness as well. And incredibly, it's all there in the Helen Keller Archive, a unique <laughs> cultural repository. Since 2015, AFB has been digitizing her collection, and I'm proud to say that over 185,000 digital images are now available worldwide. But what is truly special about this project, and why it's become a pet project of our main funder, the National Endowment for the Humanities, is that it is fully accessible to people who are blind, deaf, hard of hearing and deafblind, as well as sighted and hearing visitors. As far as we know, it's the most, and this is not an exaggeration, it's the most accessible archival collection currently available, and we believe that we have created a gold standard for other cultural institutions to follow. And of course, it's all available on afb.org slash Helen Keller Archive. But, at the end of the day, there's nothing quite like the original item to bring history home. There's nothing as delicious and juicy as the real tangible object. The Zulu shield, the letters from Mark Twain and Franklin Delano Roosevelt, the embossed glass vase from the women of Sao Paulo, Brazil, and the Academy Award. These tangible objects delight audiences and make it a little easier to take part in the historical debate and they go a long way towards engaging young audiences. I'm very excited at the prospect of APH hosting these artifacts in their museum. Not only is this an opportunity to educate the public about Helen and disability history, it's a chance to teach the importance of civic engagement, the value of service and kindness, and the power of diverse perspectives. Many children visit APH, and I'm delighted that kids who visit who have disabilities will be, will be able to see themselves in history. And those kids who see and hear will learn about the achievements of those with disabilities. This is long overdue, and together, APH and AFB will bring disability history into the mainstream where it belongs. Thank you. Who put me after her? <laughs> Kathy. Um, I'm Dr. Kirk Adams. I'm president and CEO of the American Foundation for the Blind. And um, I first became aware of Helen Keller when I was in second grade at the Oregon State School for the Blind. And uh, the whole school, 110 blind kids, uh, we all went to the Pinnacle Theater in Salem, Oregon for a, a community theater production of The Miracle, Miracle Worker. 
and my uh, schoolmate in eighth grade, uh, girl Debbie Freeman, played the young Ann Sullivan. And um, it's, uh, it, it's still still one of my uh, most powerful memories. Um, well, uh, I, I came to AFB in, in May of 2016, and there was a lovely Helen Keller gallery as part of the offices in New York, and most of the collection was in storage. And I wrote a letter to the chair of the board in December of that year and said, we, we have a moral imperative here to find a home for the Helen Keller archives where her impact can be felt and amplified. And uh, almost three years later, here we are. And thanks, thanks to everyone who's been involved. Um, this partnership means expanding the reach of Helen's life and legacy to the widest possible audience. Uh, the museum at, at APH is already renowned for its incredible exhibitions and programs, the research, the collections, and uh, the Helen Keller Archive and AFB Archives only further enrich what is already a worldwide center for disability history. And as Helen mentioned, uh, the digitized archive, um, we received a, a gift, a $20,000 check from a foundation uh, called the Achilles and Bodman Foundation in New York to continue digitizing more of the archive. And I uh, went to the Helen Keller archive and put in the search box Achilles, and there was letters from Helen to Elizabeth Achilles, who started the foundation. Uh, put in Bodman, there was a letter from George Bodman, uh, who founded that foundation to Helen. So um, hours and hours of fun in the Helen Keller searchable archive. I know in my heart that Helen Keller would have been delighted with this partnership between AFB, a place where she worked for 44 years, and the American Printing House for the Blind. I think APH and AFB are setting a nice example for the rest of our field and the impact that collaboration can have. I'm delighted with the, the partnerships that we've, we've forged in the past and in the present, and I'm very excited about the future of our partnerships. And I'd be, I'd be uh, remiss without, if I didn't throw in a Helen Keller quote, and here's just one of my personal favorites. It said, true education combines intellect, beauty, goodness, and the greatest of these is goodness. So we've, we've done something good here, and we should be proud of it. And um, I'd also particularly like to thank Helen Selsden um, for her burning passion to keep the legacy of Helen Keller alive and thriving. I'd like to thank Dr. Craig Metter, the president of APH, and Jane Hardy, the chair of the APH board. Page three. Uh, hello. If you'll just sign in there. Okay. How are you gentlemen today? We're doing fine, thank you. Mr. Rushville? Rushville, uh-huh. Oh, okay. Adam? Yes, Adam Rushville and my brother Keith. Okay. I'm Judge Tomlinson. Oh, yes, sir. And, uh, Glad to meet you, sir. We are really happy that you're here today. Well. And, and, uh, uh, you, we just appreciate you taking time to come. Well, I appreciate you letting yes. us come. Okay. Yeah. And uh, 
You know, I was a charter camper up here in 61, so we really appreciate it when I've they got, got in touch amazing. with us. Yes. I got yeah. that story, and I, I yeah. talked to Kathy, and uh, yep. uh, just wanted you to know uh, personally that we're really proud that you could be well, with us today. Well, we appreciate it, Judge. Okay. You bet. Thank you. Hello? I'm Gary. I'm working at the governor's office. Yes, sir. I'm Adam. Yeah, Adam, just keep your seat there. Okay, no. Did you, uh, you were a uh, camper here at one point? I was a charter camper back in 61. Really? And uh, several years, and then I became a, got my first paid job as a counselor after I you know, was a camper. So, mm -hmm. and for a blind person back then, you know, it was a paying job that was pretty yeah. good. So. So this means a whole lot to me. So Adam, where did you grow up? In Louisville, uh -huh. in the Clifton neighborhood. But uh, my brother Keith here also hey Keith, I'm Gary. worked nice to see you. as Thank a volunteer you. one year. But my, my two sisters, who are older than I am, they both worked as counselors up here for several years. And my whole family was involved at one time. So were you born with the vision yes. challenge? Uh -huh. I have glaucoma. All right. And was born, but I had enough vision when I was young to read large print. Mm -hmm. And then went to school for the blind and learned Braille there. And, and I still stay active with the school. But, uh, you know, the camp has always really meant a lot to me. Because uh, when the camp was, you know, open, they wanted it to be kind of rustic. They didn't want air conditioners in the yeah. back. And uh, we actually had learned how to build fires. We uh, used, um, uh, you know, different camping ways to cook, you know, with tin cans, and uh, we had, they had bicycles, and they had a couple of tandem bikes so I could be on the bike. Mm -hmm. uh, and of course, the paths were set up for wheelchair uh, things, but we also fished down at the lake. They had the uh, pontoon boat. Yeah. Uh, they had the swimming pool, and uh, while I was here, I, I got my advanced swimming uh, Red Cross level, which is one step below lifeguard. And uh, so, I mean, you know, uh, and I was still, you know, in high school and early college when I did that. So, uh, so how many years was it between the time you first came here as a camper mm -hmm. and then you actually worked here? Okay, I started in 61. I uh, became a counselor in 67 and 68, mm -hmm. paid, and then uh, that, that was the last I did. But. Adam, but how um, ahead of its time was this camp? The rest of your um, growing up years, were there yeah. other accommodations? Is this kind of the first place to introduce No, this is the first place. We they The Easter Seal Society is the one that started it, and they, they did some, um, back in the mid-50s, they, they did a, a week-long camp with some blind students just to see if blind students could do it. And I was about eight years old then. Then they had a day camp program in Louisville where they did some things during the day. And then uh, this, but this was the first. And 61, the first summer they just had weekend. I came up, you know, for Friday, Saturday, and Sunday. And they also had some campers from Lexington uh, that year. Mm -hmm. And then the next year is when they started the uh, two but I can't tell you how proud I am of our volunteers here in Carroll County, our businesses that chipped in to bring some life back into this place. And by golly, I think we're getting it done. Uh, I would like to just take a, a few moments to uh, recognize some people.
that have been a part of, of this camp over the years. Um, and so many people that have, have worked to, to really breathe the life back in, into this camp. Uh, Jim Watkins is with us. Uh, he was a staff member of the camp since 1960. Jim, where are you at? Right here. We'd also like to uh, welcome our Easter Seals director, Jenny Warsback, and her staff. Jenny, you all here? Another special guest that we have is uh, Adam Rushable. Uh, actually, he was a camper here in 1961. Actually, uh, uh, he has brought us a, a contribution uh, today. Uh, because this is such a special place, not only to him, but to so many over a period of time that has actually uh, went to camp, have worked here, and, and it's just an extraordinary place. It, it really is. So, Adam, we, we really appreciate uh, you taking time yeah. out of your schedule to be with us, you and your brother. Yeah, thank you. Uh, I want to recognize the Carroll County Physical Court. Uh, for you guys? We've got one here, one back there. They're lost in the trees. <laughs> but we, we got them here, Governor. Uh, we also would like to uh, uh, thank Kentucky Living uh, for what they've meant and a part of, uh, of, uh, of this process and working with the Governor and the Governor's office uh, and helping sponsor uh, our, our meal today. And I know we all like to eat just, just a little <laughs> bit, but we really are appreciative of that. Uh, also, I would like to uh, recognize uh, Representative Rick Rand. I don't know whether we have any of our other state officials who Rick's here somewhere. There he is. He's, he's back there. And uh, last but not least, uh, we've got the friends of Kaisal. And uh, they, I'm telling you, it's unbelievable the work and the time that they have put in out here. So all the friends of Kaisal and all of you that's been working, uh, raise your hand or step out here. You really deserve a round of you know, we, we're always uh, very grateful uh, here in Carroll County when we have uh, the governor of the Commonwealth uh, come here. I've been around a little while. I think that uh, I have the privilege of, Governor, you may be my fifth or sixth governor that I've had a chance to introduce to my community. But I can't tell you how proud we are to have you with us today and the efforts that uh, has been put forth to clean up the Commonwealth, the beautification of the Commonwealth. We're trying to take that approach here. Uh, they have been doing it here. We're trying to do it outside this camp, and, and it's just a wonderful program. Kentucky is such a beautiful place. I mean, it, it truly is. Uh, as governor, you know, the good thing about it is nobody ever asks you for anything. But sometimes it sneaks up on us, Governor. But uh, anyway, you know, a lot of communities, we have a lot of needs and, and wants, and, and we're blessed here. Uh, but I know that uh, the Governor's been working on a lot of our road initiatives. We need uh, more money in the road, just a number of things. And anytime you're in an elected position, it's not easy. You have to really deal with some very difficult things. But, uh, Governor, on behalf of uh, the Carroll County Physical Court, we really want to officially welcome you here today. And if everybody here would just give a great, big, warm Carroll County welcome to our governor. I mean, if you weren't here, 
aren't so dry, I would suggest you just start making some s'mores right now. This is, this is, it is just special. This is a special property. I've only been on here one other time. It was several years ago. It was when it was in a fairly uh, disheveled state relative to what it is now. But even then, there's something about this property. Maybe it's all the little structures popping out of the woods where you kind of see them, but they also sort of blend in. Uh, it's just magical. All the little paths, you can imagine all the stories, all the lives that have been affected by those that have served here. Uh, to the gentleman, uh, was it Jim? Yes, it, Jim. Uh, who's been here 1960. I mean, God bless you. That was before many of us, including myself, were even around. Uh, yes. You were here working. Yes, sir. Came later in the 60s than that. Uh, but you think about this, all the stories, the lives that have been changed, the trajectories uh, that have veered in the positive direction versus where they had been. And all the efforts to save the sock that went on in a lot of different forms through the years. Uh, you know, Camp Kai Sock is a special place, a lot of great memories. I thank you for those of you who've been either here as campers or you've been here as folks that have helped out with the camp that have come back today to celebrate uh, on this special day. This is fantastic, it really is. It, it brings me great joy at several levels, not only for the reasons that I've just mentioned, but I'm struck by, you guys are so talented by the way, really and truly, I mean not just your ability to sing and to play music, but the power of your words were phenomenal, they really were, I mean they, that was a very, just beautifully written song, it really was, it was outstanding, and I was struck by something in the first stanza where you talked about as you were talking about a mother's advice to a little boy. Maybe it's because I'm getting old, maybe it's because I have nine kids, I don't know. But it was, it was very moving. And I was struck by the line in particular that talks about how you can always come home. And in some measure, for many of you, that's what this is. This is people coming home. Maybe it's home to Carroll County. Maybe it's specifically to Camp Kaisok. Maybe it's something more theoretical uh, and less literal. But those, it is, there's something powerful about that. The ability to come home again. In this place, this special ground, this special camp, affords people that opportunity. And whether it's people who are coming back you know, as they have done for 50 plus years, uh, going on 60 years now, uh, or whether it's people that are coming for the first time. And as was mentioned in the invocation, it isn't just for the children past and the people past or even those present, that it is with an eye toward the future. It's an eye toward what is to come. And this is bigger, this speaks in some measure to Kentucky as well. There's so much potential here. We are so blessed to be Kentuckians. We're so blessed to be Americans, let's be honest, in a world where there's just so much political disruption and so much geopolitical instability and so many challenges to people's safety and livelihoods all over the world. How blessed we are to be not only Americans, but to be Kentuckians and to be right here in the middle of a state that's in the middle of a country that's in the middle of the last continent on earth where it seems like there's any regular amount of sanity. And Lord knows we have plenty of our own insanity. And so for Camp Kaisok to have provided as it has, this was the first, it's believed, camp of its sort in the nation to have provided for children with disabilities. 
to provide a true camping experience, to have normalized or mainstreamed that which so many of us who have been born able-bodied have the luxury of taking for granted. And this was a place that early on said for those kids who don't have that luxury, who weren't born with the ability to take certain things for granted, we're going to provide an ability for them to feel just like every other kid, to experience things like every other kid. And again, as somebody who has children, and, and who, who all have their own different talents, abilities, strengths, weaknesses, and challenges and strengths, all these things, it's meaningful to me. I'm grateful to all of you who have poured into making this possible. To Kentucky Living Magazine for coming alongside and supporting this whole Beautify the Bluegrass effort. We can't thank you enough. I don't know if Joe is still around here. Thank you for what you do on behalf uh, of the co-ops and all of the effort that has gone into coming alongside this idea that I had three years ago, which was to say, let's look at opportunities in Kentucky to beautify the bluegrass. It could be something small, it could be something large, it could touch a lot of lives or just a few. And so three years ago, we started something that said, listen, you tell us what project you've taken on, you bring this to us, show us before and after, tell us about what you've done, who it impacts, and then all of these things make their way up. And I will tell you, it is difficult every year. It is hard every year to be able to find the winner. And even this year, we had some wonderful, wonderful contestants all over the Commonwealth. But there was something about this one, for the reasons that we've just talked about, that really rose above and beyond because it was more than just the immediate impact of this project. It was the place in history that this place serves. And it serves an extraordinary place in history. And so my passion for seeing us preserve the greatness of Kentucky and the things that make us special uh, is embodied in this. So it was just a tremendous pleasure for us to be able to select this as the winner of the Governor's Award for this year, the number one project, retaining something's beauty, resuscitating it, turning it back around, and truly beautifying the bluegrass. So congratulations to each of you. Page four. This comes from Living with Diabetes from Everyday Health, posted Monday, September 30. What makes for a good type 2 diabetes diet? Foods to eat and avoid, best and worst diet plans, how to cut carbs, and everything else to know. There's no perfect diabetes diet, but knowing what to eat and your personal carb limit is key to lower blood sugar. In this article, learn the best diets for diabetes, foods to eat and avoid, the best sources of protein, fat and carbs, and so much more. This is from Everyday Health. The author is Jessica Magala, M-I-G-A-L-A, and it is medically reviewed by Kelly Kennedy, R.D. This was first updated on 2-23-2018. Why you should include fiber in your diabetes meal plan. An excellent way to trim your waistline and stabilize blood sugar is reaching for foods high in fiber. Fiber isn't digested by the human body, so fiber-rich foods with carbohydrates do not raise blood sugar levels as quickly because they are processed more slowly. Fiber-rich foods can also help you feel fuller for longer, aiding weight loss, helping prevent obesity, and maybe even warding off conditions such as heart disease and colon cancer.
Unfortunately, most adults don't eat enough fiber. Whether a person has diabetes or not, they should aim to follow the same recommendations. Women should get at least 25 grams of fiber per day, while men need at least 38 grams per day, Polinsky Wade says. What are the best sources of carbohydrates for people with type 2 diabetes? You can find carbohydrates in whole grains, fruits, vegetables, legumes, and beans, and dairy. Don't shy away from them either, as they supply necessary vitamins, minerals, and fiber, the NIH points out. Good sources of carbs include whole grains like whole wheat pasta and bread, brown rice, oatmeal, and quinoa. Non-starchy vegetables like peppers, eggplant, onion, and asparagus. Starchy vegetables are okay to eat in moderation. Just mind the carbohydrate content. Examples include sweet potatoes and corn. Non-fat or low-fat dairy like unsweetened yogurt and cottage cheese. Beans and legumes like black beans, chickpeas, and lentils. What are the best types of proteins when managing type 2 diabetes? One quarter of your plate should contain a source of lean protein, which includes meat, skinless poultry, fish, reduced fat cheese, eggs, and vegetarian sources like beans and tofu. Enjoy these diabetes-friendly options. Beans, including black or kidney beans, hummus, lentils, nut butter, tofu, fish such as tuna, sardines, or salmon, skinless poultry, eggs, low-fat or fat-free cottage cheese, reduced-fat cheese or regular cheese in small amounts, lean beef like sirloin or tenderloin. What are the best sources of healthy fats if you have type 2 diabetes? Fat is not the enemy even if you have diabetes. The key is being able to tell unhealthy fats from healthy fats and enjoying them in moderation, as all fats are high in calories. But type matters more than amount. Aim to limit saturated fat to no more than 10% of total calories, Polinsky Wade advises. Consider opting for these sources of healthy fat per the American Diabetes Association, ADA. Avocados, oils such as canola, corn, or safflower. Nuts such as almonds, peanuts, and walnuts. Olive oil, seeds including sesame, pumpkin, and sunflower. What are the best sources of dairy when you have type 2 diabetes? The goal with dairy is to choose sources that are non-fat or low-fat, 1%, to save on saturated fat. Also remember that while these sources offer protein, they are also another source of carbs, so you need to factor them into your carb allotment. Non-fat or 1% milk. Non-fat or low-fat plain yogurt, as well as Greek yogurt. Non-fat or low-fat cottage cheese. Non-dairy milk, like soy milk or almond milk. Reduced fat cheese. What are the best grains for people with type 2 diabetes? Don't fear grains either. They're a great source of heart-healthy fiber. Aim to make at least half of your grain intake whole grains. Here are some great options. 
old-fashioned or steel-cut oats, 100% whole wheat bread, wraps or tortillas, whole grain cereal without added sugar, quinoa, brown rice, farro, whole grain pasta, barley, bulgur, millet, wild rice. What are the healthiest condiments for managing type 2 diabetes? Sugar hides in many condiments like ketchup, barbecue sauce, and marinades. Always read the label and choose the low sugar option that best fits in with your diet and goals. Here are a few condiments suggested by the ADA that boost the flavor of foods without causing a sugar overload. Mustard, Dijon, or whole grain. Salsa, olive oil, vinegar including balsamic, red, or white wine, or apple cider varieties. Spices and herbs. Light salad dressing without added sugar. Hot sauce. Hummus. The best foods to eat regularly if you are living with type 2 diabetes. Certain foods are considered staples in a type 2 diabetes diet. These are foods that are known to help control blood sugar and promote a healthy weight. They include fiber-rich fruits and non-starchy vegetables such as apples and broccoli. Lean sources of protein, such as boneless, skinless chicken, turkey, and fatty fish like salmon. Healthy fats, such as peanut butter, nuts, and avocados in moderation. Whole grains, like quinoa and barley. Non-fat or low-fat dairy, like milk and plain yogurt. The top foods to limit or avoid if you have type 2 diabetes. Likewise, certain foods are known to throw blood sugar levels out of whack and promote unhealthy weight gain. Foods that should be limited or avoided if you have type 2 diabetes include chips, cookies, cake, white bread and pasta, canned soups, which are high in sodium, microwavable meals, which are also high in sodium, candy, sources of saturated fat like bacon or fatty cuts of meat. APH's Nearby Explorer is a full-featured GPS app for iOS and Android devices that empowers users to travel with confidence. It uses GPS and your phone's compass to speak real-time information about your surroundings, including millions of points of interest in the U.S. and Canada. Nearby Explorer is available on Google Play and on the App Store. Page 5. The Sound Prince Calendar. On October 17, the KCB Scholarship and Technology Committee will have a meeting at 8 p.m. The number is 669-900-6833 and the code is 3572. Five nine five one nine three. October 18, GLCB will have another roundabout. Education and technology from 3.30 to 5. Discussion 5 to 6. Dinner 6 to 7. And music beginning at 7 p.m. Games will also be available at United Crescent Hill Ministries, 150 South State Street in Louisville. Call 502-895-4598 to sign up. On October 20, ACB families will have 
a business meeting and support group at 9 p.m. Eastern Time. Participate from anywhere in the country by calling 712-432-3900 and entering code 796096. On October 21, the Kentucky Council of the Blind will hold its monthly board meeting at 8 p.m. Dial 669-900-6833 and enter code 3572-595193. On October 22, ACB Next Generation will have an Organizational Development Committee conference call at 8 p.m. The number is 669-900-6833 and the code is 3572-595193. October 23 is the Bluegrass Council Peer Support Group. This meeting will be from noon until 2 p.m. at the BCB office in Lexington, 1093 South Broadway, RSVP, or get more information by calling 859-259-1834. On October 24, the Kentucky Council of Citizens with Low Vision will have its next in-person support group in Louisville, 1.30 to 3.30 p.m., at United Crescent Hill Ministries. For more information, call 502-895-4598. On October 25, Savvy will have an arts and crafts class from 10 to noon Central Time at the Wesleyan Heights United Methodist Church, 1215 Sherm Road in Owensboro. For more information, call 270-684-4418 or 270-686-8689. On October 25, GLCB will have another roundabout. There will be Education and Technology from 3.30 to 5, Tip Sheet from 5 to 5.30, Page Turners 5.30 to 6, Dinner 6 to 7, KCB Next Generation Activity, Games and Crafts, all from 7 until 9.30, at United Crescent Hill Ministries in Louisville. Sign up by calling 502-895-4598. On October 26, Halloween Mask Making. From 10.30 a.m. until 12.30 p.m., masks have been a part of many cultures throughout history. They are useful for hiding identities, but also for inciting fear or awe or other emotions. Sighted people tend to depend on the visual for their effects. But textures and shapes can convey emotions as well. APH Museum staff will guide participants of all ages and abilities as they make scary or friendly Halloween masks and headdresses using tactile materials. Free, but registration is required for ages 6 and up at the American Printing House Museum, 1839 Frankfurt Avenue in Louisville. Call 502-899-2213 for more information and to register. October 26, ACB Next Generation will have its Saturday night live hangout. 8 p.m. by phone. This is for ACB members and individuals 40 and under. And this is a nationwide call. For more information, call Amanda Salm at 502-750-1774. The phone number to join the call is 669-900-6833 and the code is 
595-1593. On October 27, the Kentucky School for the Blind alumni will hold a board meeting at 8 p.m. Eastern Time by phone. Call 605-475-6006 and enter code 294444. October 28 is the next Guide Dog Users of Kentuckyana membership call. This is at 7 p.m. Eastern Time by phone. Call 605-475-6006 and enter code 294444. Also on October 28, Savvy, the Support Alliance, the Visually Impaired, will have a Budget Committee meeting at 8 p.m. Central Time on the phone number 669 669- Nine zero zero six eight three three. Enter code three five seven two five nine five one nine three. Looking ahead to November, a few highlights. On November three, ACB families will have a peer support group meeting at nine p.m. Eastern time. The number is seven one two four three two thirty nine hundred, and the code is seven nine six zero nine six. November 7 will be the American Council of Blind Lions conference call meeting. This is a monthly meeting for blind lions from around the country. This is an excellent opportunity to share ideas about how to be involved in local clubs. At 9 p.m. Eastern Time, the number is 712-432-3900 and the code is 796096. November 15 and 16. Kentucky Council of the Blind State Conference and Convention. KCB in the spotlight. Enjoy workshops, programs, exhibits, food, and friends at United Crescent Hill Ministries in Louisville. Rooms available at the Ramada Inn North, 1041 Zorn Avenue in Louisville. Rates are $79 a night plus tax for up to four people in a room. KCB will provide transportation between the Ramada and United Crescent Hill Ministries using Uber and Lyft. For hotel reservations, call 502-897-5101 and be sure to tell them that you are with the Kentucky Council of the Blind when you call in order to obtain our discounted rate. On November 16, radio days from 1 to 3 p.m., We celebrate 100 years of radio broadcasting by taking you back to a time before computers, before television, when families would gather around the radio to listen to soap operas, spine-chilling dramas, gripping mysteries, and gut-splitting comedies. The first radio broadcast occurred in 1919. 100 years later, we bring you our own live radio broadcast with vocals by talking book narrators from the APH Sound Studio and sound effects by students at the Kentucky School for the Blind. Note, this activity will also be part of the KCB convention, so come to the convention and plan to attend the play as well. On November 17, ACB families will have its next business meeting as well as drawing for the winners in its membership drive at 9 p.m. Eastern Time. Participate from anywhere in the country by calling 712-432-3900 and entering code 796096. November 23 will be a Thanksgiving open house at the APH Museum from 10 a.m. to 3 p.m. Looking for something uniquely Louisville to show friends and relatives visiting for Thanksgiving? 
bring them to APH's one-of-a-kind museum. Visitors can write their names in Braille, see a book from Helen Keller's Bible, learn about guide dogs, play games, and read books designed for children who are blind, and enjoy many other activities in the award-winning museum. The museum also has on display the first book written by Louis Braille in which he describes his new method for writing with dots. Holiday goodies and spiced cider will be served. Register by calling 502-899-2213. And in December, on December 7, the Christmas with the Council party will be from 4.30 until 9 p.m., at United Crescent Home Ministries, sponsored by the Tri-State Library Users, Guide Dog Users of Kentuckyana, KCB Next Generation, and the Greater Louisville Council of the Blind. More details coming soon. Call 502-895-4598. December 8th, the 8th Annual ACB Radio Holiday Auction will be coming to you from 6 p.m. until all items are sold. Listen on ACB Radio, ACB Link, the Alexa Skill apps for ACB Radio or on the phone at 605-475-8130. More details coming soon. If you have questions about the Kentucky Council of the Blind or you need information on resources for people with vision loss, call us at 502-895-4598 or email us at kcb at kentucky-acb.org. Sound Prince is a production of the Kentucky Council of the Blind and is heard each week on ACB Radio Mainstream at acbradio.org, Central Kentucky Radio I at radioi.org, and the KCB website at www.kentucky-acb.org. Complete schedule information is also available on the website. Sound Prince is underwritten by the Louisville Downtown Lions Club, and by the American Printing House for the Blind. This is Carla Rushable for Sound Prints. Have a great week, everybody.